0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the football outsiders fantasy show streaming live on twitch.tv fboutsiders FB outsiders every Tuesday and Friday at 1pm Eastern time part of football outsiders every day of the week 1pm uh, at twitch.tv fboutsiders FB outsiders as it's Tuesday I'm joined this week and every week by Derek Klassen football outsiders scouting expert to talk about your possible waiver wire additions in fantasy football. Derek, how's it going? I know you're in a good mood because today we get to talk about one of your favorite prospects, Justin Fields.
1: Yeah, very excited to talk about Justin Fields. Uh, you know, could be doing better just because last night I almost went six for six on my picks and props, but uh, Jared Goff decided that um, he wanted to fumble because it started raining and he remembered <laughs> he has uh, child hands. So uh, mm. that kind of ruined things, but we're, we're, we're still okay. We're still alive. So
0: I hate that. See, I, I'm trying to tweet more this season, because clearly I'm a lot worse at it than say you are. Um, and I was like, what's it's something interesting I can put? I was like, oh, I actually do all these weather, weather factors as part of my projections. I'm like, actually rain increases fumble rate by 115%. So let me, let me tweet that out right when, when Jared got fumbles. I didn't know I was sticking a knife into your heart. And I, I apologize profusely. You know, it's it's really his, his fault more than yours, so it's okay. But <laughs> <laughs> well, again, we got to talk about a quarterback you want to talk about, Justin Fields. Um, before we get into that, though, I guess I should probably mention that if you missed last week, every uh, Tuesday, we're going to do the waiver wire discussion, kind of framing it around the waiver wire article that I write. It actually just went up today, so if you're listening to this, you can check that out. Uh, But in that, I talk about all the players, why I'm recommending them, but I also offer a fad bid recommendation. And we're going to play a little game of over or under or just right, where where Derek can offer his scouting opinions and maybe help me out if I'm getting these guys a little bit wrong. But let's start with Justin Fields. Normally, you wouldn't lead a a fantasy waiver wire article talking about a quarterback, but I think in this case, it's worth it. And I think Fields is worth 31% Fab recommendation that I'm suggesting. So, Derek, you want to just take it from here and and wax on your guy, uh, Justin Fields.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I I wrote at some point during, before the season that like this was going to happen sooner or later. Um, I didn't expect it necessarily to be an Andy Dalton injury, but whatever, that's where we are now. Justin Fields was a lot better than his, you know, box score suggests. I think he only had, you know, uh, not very many yards per attempt. Mm -hmm. Um, His completion percentage wasn't very high. He threw a pick, didn't throw a touchdown, yada, yada, yada. Um, But He had one insane deep over route to Darnell Mooney that barely got dropped. Um, You know, that was a really good ball. And that connection is kind of something that I I think is going to continue to be stable. Um, He had another deep ball down the sideline to Allen Robinson that should have been caught. And honestly, given that it's Allen Robinson, that probably is going to be caught more often than not. It just didn't happen to be um, in that game. And then like the interception, you know, I was talking to you um, before the show. Like, so with the interception, it was third down. The Bears came out in trips, right? They had a, a different receiver to the left all by himself. And what a lot of teams will do out of that formation is they'll run all the trips guys on like vertical routes, basically just clear them out and then run a shallow across into that other side of the field. It's kind of like a downfield screen almost. And and on the other side, Cincinnati was running basically what looked like zero coverage, where they were going to blitz everybody except for the five guys they needed to cover. Um, and so obviously if you're going to get that look, if your fields, you're thinking, well, we're pretty much just going to have an open field here. I'm going to try to hit my guy on the shallow, pray that he can run for the six yards, whatever he needs for yeah. the first down. Yeah. The problem is one of Cincinnati's, uh, linebackers started to rush even engaged with a guard, I think, and then popped off the line really late right into that shallow window. And that's just, even for a veteran, that would be something that's so hard to see. And, and fields really thought he had a good look there, given that it looked like cover zero, Sometimes I think that the defense just has the right call and they kind of got a rookie quarterback. So I think that interception was not even one I'm worried about. And I don't think he's generally a guy who puts the ball in danger um, that much, even despite generally being a pretty, you know, downfield passer. So like I said, I, I think Fields is going to be fantastic. And I also think the last thing to note is he's going to be a guy who's going to um, get you points on the ground. You know, he had a couple of really nice plays um, this week. He had one spin outside of, I think, um, Trey Hedrickson. That was really nice. Just, I mean, he can kind of do it all and he's going to be a lot more explosive Yeah, um, I mean, than Andy Dalton.
0: I'm definitely trusting you on the, on the like prospect status and saying that like from a passing perspective, he's really good. One of the best quarterback prospects you've seen in a while, but from a fantasy perspective, I'm all about the ground game right now. So the 31 yards from, from Sunday may not seem like much, but he had 10 carries and keep in mind that was on just 65% of snaps since Andy Dalton started. Uh, he didn't leave the game until maybe a quarter or, or two in, but Um, There just aren't that many quarterbacks that run even 10 times a game. Last year, there were six quarterbacks that ran 10 or more times in two or more games. That was Lamar Jackson did it 10 times. Cam Newton did it seven times. Kyler Murray, six. Josh Allen, four. Taysom Hill, three. Remember, he started four games. And then Jalen Hurts, two, who also started four games. And if you look at all of those those quarterbacks on a per-game basis, they finished eighth, 21st, fifth, second, 11th, and eighth in fantasy points per start. Um, with, with quarterbacks with four or more starts. So you're basically saying five out of six chances, these guys are quarterback ones in fantasy. I know fields is a rookie and I know that they're offensive line problems, but like, God, it seems like fields has a pretty good chance to be a quarterback one as well, which in my mind drives the fantasy value drives the, the heftier fab recommendation that I have for him, Derek. Yeah. And
1: I think um, the rushing production is, or at least the volume is going to stay consistent, you know, because like with Josh Allen recently, yeah. I think a lot more of his heavy rushing games are because he's scrambling. I don't think they do as much designed run stuff with him anymore, which is probably fine when you're trying to protect your quarterback and he's in year three, year four, and he's you mm-hmm. know a little bit more attuned to that sort of stuff. But with a rookie like Fields, it's it's probably you're gonna get easier yardage by just letting him get stuff on the ground. And so I think that's probably something that they're gonna try to keep consistent. Um, you know, David Montgomery's also been running really well, so they might really just want to keep that, yeah. you know, that pairing going. So I think the fab recommendation here is good. Um, like I said, I I really couldn't say enough about Justin Fields. I think he's
0: fantastic. Now I will point out that Andy Dalton, he he suffered a knee injury, but I think the early reports are that they think it's a bone bruise. So no, no ACL damage, no MCL damage. It's possible that he could be healthy enough to play in week three, but I think it's, it's more likely that he would miss the next game or two either way. And it it does seem like it's going to be hard for the bears to, to like, Bench fields if he's if he's already going to be playing because of injury, right? Like more off, like the best chance here is that he's going to have this job going forward, right, Derek?
1: I would think so. I mean, I guess there's always a chance that Nagy is really adamant about Dalton being the guy when he's healthy, but if we get one or two weeks of fields and he looks even like competent for a Mm. rookie, which I think even that in the action, you know, this last game, I think he did. He looked good for a rookie. There's just, there's no rationalization for going back to Andy Dalton, who at this point is just not a, a winning quarterback. He, he just doesn't have enough in the tank.
0: Yeah. And I think the rushing, I mean, we always go gaga over it from a fantasy perspective, but I think it really helps the rookie quarterbacks kind of lessen the learning curve. Because again, if, if they don't know what's happening, if they see their first reads covered or whatever, they can always take off. And like that can be a lot easier than trying to play the Matt Jones game of of going through your progressions and then having pressure crop up and stuff. Like, I feel like it's gonna help Fields, and Fields may honestly be a better fit for the the lack of pass protection the Bears have than, than Dalton is, despite Dalton's experience. Uh, on twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders right now, useful title mentions. He's hoping that Fields playing will open up more zone option plays for the Bears and hopefully push Montgomery's production up too. I actually think from last year when Jalen Hurts took over, I think Miles Sanders had a lot more production down the stretch also behind a really bad offensive line. So like, that doesn't seem crazy to me. Does Montgomery tick up in value here because Fields is starting too? I mean, I would
1: think so. Cause I think, I think it's especially true because like Dalton, his only real value at this point is like, he's pretty good pre-snap. And so obviously if you're running a good amount of quick game, like that's going to be where he gets mm-hmm. his yards. Fields, I think is a smart quarterback and is going to get better at that as he grows into, into the sport. But like, at the end of the day, he's a rookie and that stuff is kind of hard to be really good pre-snap, really good quick game. So I think like you're mentioning, they're probably just going to start replacing that with a lot of the run game, a lot of the, um, you know, zone option stuff like you're mentioning. I think that's kind of just going to be like a one-for-one swap that they do. And I think, um, yeah, it's going to be good for Fields. He's obviously going to get the volume that we're talking about and it probably should be good for Montgomery because if they have a guy that now they have to worry about the quarterback, um being in the run game you're not going to have guys who are going to be able to close on run plays from behind obviously because he's going to be making sure fields doesn't take off for 20 yards so
0: okay well we've got another a bunch of other guys to discuss we've got some other rookies to discuss um, but i'll point out that fields is really the only player that i think deserves a pretty hefty fab bid this week uh, as far as i can tell so far daryl henderson's injury maybe not as serious as originally thought maybe he'll miss the game this week but that's probably just one or so games that Sonny Michelle may end up being a featured back. Keep in mind the Rams play the Buccaneers this weekend too. the number one DBA run defense. They've limited their first two runners to under 40 yards uh, rushing. So I, I don't necessarily think that Sony Michelle is a big pickup either. So my next recommendation is actually rookie receiver Rondale more of the Cardinals and an 11% pop. Uh, this one, you know, I, I, A lot of things are telling me to be pessimistic. Like, obviously, right now by snap share, he's the number four receiver on the Cardinals. DeAndre Hopkins played 97% of snaps last week. AJ Green, 84%. And Christian Kirk, 62%. But Moore was still up from 29% in week one to 46% last week and had a ton of production. What are your thoughts on Moore so far?
1: I mean, I think he looks good. But kind of to your point with the snap share, I think Mm -hmm. you're just kind of going to have to accept that he's kind of like a roulette game if you're going to end up starting him at some point point, you know probably the flex or whatever but you know he's going to have these games where i think he is their most explosive player both on you know a lot of the screens that they like to run i think as he gets more comfortable in the offense they're going to force a lot of those to him and then just down the field i mean nuke is obviously fantastic but like sure in the open field, if he can get there, Moore is is a lot better. And that's obviously no discredit to Nuke. Like, that's just what Rondell Moore does. So I think he he really unlocks this element of explosiveness to the offense that obviously when they were giving a lot of snaps to Larry Fitzgerald last year, that wasn't as mm. much there. So I think it's probably something that can continue a little bit moving forward. Obviously, Kyler Murray's playing fantastic too. But I think, like you mentioned, until we see the snap share tick up into the you know 60s and 70s with, with some of these other guys, I think you're just going to have to accept that there's probably going to be games where he only catches two passes for 20 yards. And then he might have another one like, you know, this past week where he catches seven for 110. So
0: it's going to be a big theme for me this week that I'm, I'm suggesting some players based on what I think is really good talent, even though the roles may not be what you want them to be yet, just kind of keeping your fingers crossed that maybe that'll evolve. But uh, if you're just looking at the production, seven catches 114 yards and a touchdown on eight targets, which led the team, that's a bit deceptive. Like the most of that production came on one, uh, Kyler Murray pressure play where he was able to roll out and escape pressure and, and hit more wide open down the field. Moore had nobody near him at any point on what was, I think maybe a 77 yard touchdown. So you're saying like, well, kind of a fluke play that could happen to anybody, but there was another play. And you can actually check out the waiver wire article on footballoutsiders.com to, to see this. But at the end of the first half, you took a little dump off pass trying to get into field goal range and made just two absolute ankle breaking cuts first to kind of cut upfield and get some extra yardage and then to cut to get out of bounds with one second left on the clock. That it was like it was a real wow moment for me from just a talent perspective. And it's to me, it's hard to look at that and think that the the target share and the snap share aren't going to grow from here, even though AJ Green and Christian Kirk, I think as far as second and third receivers go, are pretty good. Like do you think that he could get up to the number two guy on this team in, in short order, Derek?
1: I just think what's tricky about it is, you know, A.J. Green obviously doesn't really have much left in the tank in terms of, like, explosiveness anymore. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think the problem is Kirk and A.J. Green provide a much higher floor for the offense right now. And I think when Kyler Murray himself brings such a high ceiling that it kind of makes sense that that's this is the way that they're delineating their wide receiver snaps right now. And I think unless Moore really, really gets comfortable in the offense, which is entirely possible, um, I wouldn't be too surprised to see them stick with this, you Mm -hmm. know, wide receiver um, rotation that they have right now. Just because, like I said, they're an offense that needs to get the high floor stuff for Murray, and then he's going to give you all the ceiling stuff. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I would still bet on Moore having a handful of these games where he just pops off even on, you know, maybe limited chances. But like I said, I think, Seeing him break into maybe the the number two or number three spot is probably not something that's going to happen until next year, I would think.
0: Okay. Well, let me see if I can talk you into my number three fab recommendation this week. Michael Pittman of the Colts, who I put it at 1% less than Rondell Moore at a 10% fab bid. He had a big game in his own right, eight catches, 123 yards on 12 targets, which led the team by four this last week. And he, he played 90% of the snaps as well, which he and Zach Pascal were kind of leading the charge here uh, for the Colts this week. But I don't know. I'm a little bit pessimistic about Pittman. I feel like this offense may not be geared to like highlight a number one receiver, even if Pittman can become that guy. But but what do you think? Is is Pittman a better fantasy option than Rondale Moore?
1: I think it just kind of depends on what your problem is. I think if you need you know, if you're looking to, to try to dig for like a long term thing that might pay off for you a little bit down the stretch, Moore is probably your better option. Okay. Um, just because of the potential there, I think if you need short-term, like right now, somebody that can help you, Pittman is probably a little bit better. Um, I think he runs a really full route tree, which is which is obviously always going to be nice. He's going to be able to find, um, he's going to be able to find production pretty much all over the field. And I think with just some of the injuries that they have on offense, um, it's kind of it's a good situation for him to be a guy who's just going to naturally get more targets that way, just because some of the other issues that they have. So. I don't necessarily love Pittman, the player, but I think at least in the short term, maybe over the next few weeks, this is just, it's too perfect a situation for him to not get volume.
0: Yeah. I mean, to to dig further into that point, Paris Campbell, he had suffered an abdominal injury in practice, the the leading into the game and ended up not playing. He's now played just 10 of 34 possible games in his career, which I know like those things can change. Like we were saying similar things about Keenan Allen earlier in his career. And now he's maybe the best wide receiver in football, but like things haven't gone great for Campbell so far and he may have some limitations on his own. Anyway, obviously T Y Hilton has really become an injury prone player and is currently on injured reserve. So like Pittman is one of the only guys here, but I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on, on not loving Pittman because I think he's what six foot four. Like he looks like the kind of athlete that would be a, a number one receiver on the outside for a team. And I was kind of thinking that maybe that could be a ceiling, but do you not feel that way?
1: I mean to me he just feels the way that you use him and the way he produces. Um you remember like the older version of Michael Crabtree that was still like yeah. kind of good, but not quite what he had been? I feel like that's kind of what you're getting out of Pittman, which is obviously still a fine NFL starting receiver. I just think that the production that he's getting right now is much more product of the situation than him being that good of a player. And I think we, you know, once this offense gets healthier, I think we're going to see that and he's probably going to lose a lot of those targets. But like I said, I think in the short term, if you, if you need some help right now, it's probably a fine bet to take, I would think.
0: Yeah. So Pittman's had a 22.2% target share through the first two weeks. That's tied for 32nd among wide receivers. That's probably where he is from a value standpoint from fantasy right now. Right. Like, you know, somebody that may be in the mix for you in your shallower leagues from a flex standpoint, but you're, you're kind of working to try to find somebody a little bit better, uh, which is why I think even with the big game on Sunday, maybe a more modest player to, to target uh, from from your waiver wire perspective. Uh, before I head into the next guy, let me point out to everyone again that we are currently live streaming on twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time every Tuesday, actually all five days of the week, Monday through Friday some combination of me, Derek, Aaron Schatz, Mike Tenier. We've got some great content for you. Um, And also available after the fact, both on YouTube and on the Football Outsiders podcast network. So please subscribe there. Um, But like next to Justin Fields, this fourth waiver recommendation is actually the player I'm most interested to talk to you about. Tony Pollard running back for the Cowboys. I'm offering a 6% recommendation for his fab bid. And it's tough for me to make myself go higher because obviously Ezekiel Elliott is the primary runner here. Uh, he still ran on 71% of snaps last week compared to just 34% for Tony Pollard. So it it doesn't necessarily look like the workload has shifted too much from here. But man, t- Pollard's looked really explosive the first couple of weeks. And I'm curious if you think the talent could maybe win out in this type of situation where Elliott is the guy and Elliot has a $90 million contract and all of those factors being involved.
1: You know, I think it's kind of like the, the Rondell Moore dilemma where like yeah. he is a clearly like explosive player and he has value but like they they delineate these running back snaps the way they do for a reason mm-hmm. um they, these two guys are just totally different players and Pollard is obviously a lot more explosive he's a lot more exciting with the ball in his hand when he gets out into space that's why a lot of the times they run him they're trying to get you know maybe outside zone stuff they're trying to get um sweet plays they're trying to <clears throat> throw him out in the flat like just really stuff to really get him out into space and stuff like that whereas Zeke is a significantly better pass blocker. He might be the best in in the league at that from the running back spot. And he's just a lot better between the tackles. He's really good at at grinding out an extra yard or two. And sometimes that's what you need. And that's just not really what Pollard provides. And I think because Pollard doesn't have a lot of that high floor stuff that Zeke has, the snaps are just never going to be there. Mm -hmm. With that said, when they put him on the field, they are very, very deliberate about wanting to to try to get him the ball or at least make him part of the eye candy that they're they're using and so but like with more i think you're probably going to have a couple of weeks where that might only mean four carries and two receptions or whatever but i think you're going to have these weeks where um you know especially like against the charges where they're not really good at you know rallying and tackling right now yeah. if you can get a guy like pollard into space it, it, you're going to have these games where he goes for like 100 yards and stuff so i think um i would say that picking him at this fab bid is probably good you just might have to be a little, you know, conscious of of the matchups and understand um, what the Dallas offense is trying to accomplish in a given week. But I think it's probably fine. And and I think he's so explosive with the ball in his hands. It really seems like they're trying to to shift touches to him a little bit more, even if the overall snap workload isn't there. So I kind of like him overall right now.
0: So like, maybe we should dig into this a little bit more from a handcuffing perspective too. Cause like you say, Elliot's probably not going to lose his spot. Um, But like, what if Elliot were to get hurt you said Pollard's like a pl- completely different type of player, but there was a play on Sunday that really stuck out to me where Pollard took, it was kind of a sweep, I guess, but but Joey Bosa got to him and got hands on him, but Pollard was able to evade that and then ended up pushing the pile too. And maybe that's just one play. And I know Paul- Pollard is physically smaller than Elliott, but if Elliott were to miss a handful of weeks, could Pollard, you know, carry the ball between the tackles and maybe touch the ball 20 to 25 times, on that type of schedule? Cause like, I guess we've all been assuming Pollard would be a really, really good handcuff for Zeke in addition to being maybe a Kareem hunt type of flex value, but could he play that role if, if the situation presented itself?
1: I think his, his touches would probably tick up for sure. I mean, I think they would be pretty comfortable sticking him as, as like the number one back. Um, I just think that like in that event where, um you know, maybe Zeke does get hurt. I don't think that they would commit to the run game. Like, I think they would just, the run game would be different and and like i don't think they would be as um you know dead set on trying to to blast it up the middle and stuff like that i think they would maybe even shift some of their run game stuff to just you know some of the stuff they do in the flat with pollard so he would probably still get touches the thing is just like i think zeke is never really going to lose that spot because i think you could pound zeke up you know between the tackles 25 times a game and it's not so much that every time he's doing that he's pushing the pile and getting an extra two yards which I do think he does a lot but it's that he's physically built to handle that kind of workload week in and week out Pollard you might get a couple of games where that's fine and you can do that if you're running the ball really well but he's not a guy that I think that you can consistently give that that kind of workload to which is fine he's he's still a really valuable player I just you know Kind of have to to calibrate expectations I think
0: no I mean that I think that's a very important like and subtle distinction from a fantasy perspective that can help people out here and i I mean that from my perspective that's kind of why we're down in the six percent or less of fab range for all of these other recommendations like unless guys like Henderson are actually going to be out leading to some substantial workload increases there just aren't a ton of guys for the for the week three waiver wire that I think stand out to me and I think that's kind of true with this next player too where it's almost like I'm a little kind of hoping that he's going to be good more than necessarily and convinced he's going to be good. But Henry Ruggs of the Raiders had a big week two, five catches, 113 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Another long touchdown catch, kind of buoying his value here, uh, similar to Rondale Moore, but also had seven targets, tied for the most on the team. So do you think Ruggs has shown anything that makes you think that he's turned the corner? I think we were optimistic that maybe his role would expand beyond a deep threat only this season. And so far it's been – you know, a modest increase with like a 13% target share. But I don't know, is he is he a guy that's trending towards being a number one receiver for the team, too? You know, I
1: think he's mostly still a guy who they want to be like this super role player, Deshaun Jackson down the field, blah, blah, blah. I think he is getting a little bit more touches, like you said, in, in more, you know, standard, maybe underneath type of stuff. But I think the difference this year is that Derek Carr is really not afraid to unleash the ball down mm. the field right now. Um, which is obviously really good for them. And that's also, you know, exacerbated for rugs and the fact that they don't have Nelson Aguilar anymore. Ruggs yeah. is like their best guy for this. Obviously, Zay Jones had like the the game ending touchdown against Baltimore, but that's that's a lot less you know, consistent moving forward, then I think Ruggs getting a lot of these deep targets. And right now um, the Raiders actually have the most air yards by volume as a passing offense, which obviously bodes well for Ruggs when, like I said, he is their guy for this. So I don't know if he's going to be able to get hundred yards every week, but I think he's definitely going to have these games where, you know, Carr is really letting it rip and he's their best guy to go for that. Um, And I think just as he continues to get more comfortable, this is just something we're going to see with this offense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm really hoping for even a subtle increase in his target share, because last year, 5.7 expected touchdowns per 100 targets was 29th among wide receivers with 40 or more targets. That's a pretty low target threshold. I had to lower it because Rugs didn't get to 50 targets last season. But you feel like even on a Nelson Aguilar type of maybe 80 target season, could Ruggs hit just like you know, get eight touchdowns, I feel like it's a possibility. And so maybe that would be a more boom and bust Deshaun Jackson type of fantasy value, which isn't exactly what you're looking for from a fantasy perspective. But, you know, when you get into some of your deeper leagues, those can win you weeks, and there may not be a lot of better options for you on the waiver wire right now. So like, I think that's why I'm a little bit excited here, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think especially in your deeper leagues where, like you said, your flex spot is probably like you're kind of just accepting that it's a coin flip probably. And so you want to take the guys that are when it hits, you know, when it hits heads, they are getting, you know, 110 yards and a touchdown like rugs obviously can. So um, I think that's a great point. And I think, yeah, he's probably one of your he's got to be one of the most high ceiling options available right now. You know, like I said, with some of these other guys too, like more. He might have a couple of games where they just can't find the deep ball. You know, deep ball can be a little bit inconsistent, really, from any quarterback, and sometimes it's not going to be there. But on these weeks that it hits, like you mentioned, it's it might just outright win you the week, assuming the rest of your team isn't a complete dumpster fire.
0: Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about this in the preseason, but do you have any thoughts on his teammate, Brian Edwards, also a second-year player, drafted, I think, two rounds after Ruggs last year? Can't quite remember, but uh, in the first three rounds, and maybe has more of the body you would expect of a player that could get, you know, consistently heavy volumes of targets. Edwards actually um led the team with 74% of of offensive snaps last week versus 67% for Rugs. So I'm not thoroughly convinced that Rugs is the better fantasy asset, but like do you have any thoughts on Edwards and maybe how the two compare with each other?
1: Edwards is just I mean that dude is a dog. Like he, <laughs> he I mean he's big, he's built like he's built like a running back almost Um, just in terms of like his bulk or whatever Um, he's really good at a lot of the bully ball stuff. Um, You know, if he's just running like a quick ISO slant, maybe a dig over the middle where he's got to, you know, box somebody out. He's really good at that type of stuff. Um, He's very willing to block, which I think is a a big part of why he is getting the snaps that he is, because that offense is still one that does want to run the ball. Well, that's what Gruden wants to do. So I think he's a guy who just brings such a high floor to everything that he does. Um, you know, that, that probably honestly pays out more for the Raiders like on the field than it might in your lineup. Um, because I think the explosive stuff for Edwards just isn't really there. Um, but I think, you know, just in terms of being a guy that Carr can kind of trust in, in, in the low area, um, outside of Darren Waller, of course, I think it's just kind of a nice fit for their offense for what they have right now.
0: Nice. All right. Before we hit our next player, in addition to to being on Monday through Friday, 1 PM Eastern time on twitch.tv slash FB outsiders, let me also point out that now is a great time to subscribe to FO plus on footballoutsiders.com. You get a lot of great content during the season that way, not just the weekly projections. You get the projections for loser league, which Derek, I, I know you've been playing. I actually think I have a chance to win loser league for week two. Cause I had Zach Wilson uh, without that, that four interception performance, very exciting Ooh. stuff. Um, but also <laughs> we've been building out all these uh, player research tools for, for fantasy players that let you run splits on interesting things like yards after contact per attempt. Yak Plus some of those more advanced football outsiders metrics, you can run those on certain splits that I think are going to really help you make good decisions. I try to point that stuff out whenever I can for the waiver wire advice, but you know, nothing beats being able to do it yourself, and it's very inexpensive to get FO Plus and do that. Okay, let's jump back into the content here. Uh, the next player we're kind of hitting the bottom of the barrel hill in running backs, which is kind of why I've been, you know, riding some of those other guys like Pollard for a little bit more money. But JD McKissick. Of Washington throwing out as a 3% waiver bid Uh, it's hard to be as excited about him lat as you were last season and even last season I think people weren't that excited since he was playing behind Antonio Gibson but last year he also what he had like over a 20% target share which is basically the highest among running backs this year it's it's closer to half that it's down to uh, 13 no let's see down to 10.6% 27th among running backs but there aren't a lot of guys at this position. So Derek, do you think that McKissick is still involved enough to maybe make him a worthwhile PPR player at the very least?
1: I am pretty out on McKissick, honestly. And I think, I think a lot of it is one, I just don't think the ceiling is really there um, for him to really be a guy who's going to get you too many explosive plays, even if he does get chances, but also like his use case is so specific. And I think we Mm -hmm. saw it even just in these two weeks, you know, in week one, they played, um, the Chargers who have an atrocious front seven and are just going to get run on by anybody. And when you have that, you don't need to force these touches um, you know, into the flats or on jet sweep stuff to a guy like McKissick. You can just run the ball with your good running back in Antonio Gibson. I think they did that and they didn't really give the ball to McKissick. Yeah. Then they go play the Giants who have a much better front seven, maybe not one of the best in the league, but they're at least you know competent. And Washington started to realize, huh, we can't just run the ball the way that we want to. We're going to have to manufacture some of these touches, um, you, you know, outside, outside the numbers, outside the hashes, stuff like that. And I think that's where McKissick's value comes in. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't pick him up. And then my suggestion would be, if you do pick him up, you know, be, be conscious of what run defenses you're playing. And I think if, if, yeah. if you're, if they're playing a really good run defense, maybe that is the week for McKissick and maybe he could be pretty good for you in a PPR league, but I think, Generally, he's just not somebody I'm very excited about right now.
0: Yeah, I know that I'm I'm recommending McKissick as a as a low uh, fab bid here, but I, I mean I, I can't really disagree with you here. Like I think you it's easy to get thrown off the scent a little bit because he had like a weird late red zone opportunity and ran in for a touchdown last week, which combined with his five catches and eighty three yards made him a really nice fantasy play last week specifically. But all of the like underlying peripherals suggest that that's not going to continue. So last year he averaged 60% snap share while Antonio Gibson was at 46%. And that's totally flipped. He's at 44% so far this year, while Gibson's at 61%. So it's hard to imagine he's going to be getting a lot of those goal line touches going forward. You're relying pretty much exclusively on the targets. And again, that's down almost in half of what it was last year. And Curtis Samuel's not even back yet. I mean, Samuel may end up taking a lot of that work as sort of that hybrid running back wide receiver and can probably do more things than McKissick can. Right. So like when Samuel is back in the next couple of weeks, that that's going to eat into this further. Right. I think the
1: the Samuel point is a good one. And also just like you have to look at what they have at quarterback now, like last year when it was mostly Alex Smith playing a lot of these games. Of course, your guys in the short areas are going to get a lot more targets. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, McKissick was like a pretty big, uh, you know, beneficiary of that. Now, when you have Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke, who are both very willing to press the ball down the field and not as, you know, Mm -hmm. not as quick to to check the ball down to a guy like McKissick, the targets just aren't going to be there. And that's not even necessarily his fault. That's just, you know, kind of the reality of what the offense is right
0: now. Alex Smith threw more than 30% of his passes to running backs last season. (laughs) He he made drew Brees look like a real field stretcher. It's like, (laughs) it was like a real outlier of a high percentage there, which I mean, Mm -hmm. he, the guy had a reputation, let's be honest, but like even Dwayne Haskins was top 10 in that metric too. And it's just like, probably because he wasn't like fully processing what was happening here. But once Ryan Fitzpatrick gets back, you know, that's going to change. And I think with Heineke, it looked like he was definitely willing to be aggressive last week. Right. So like Mm -hmm. that's going to change too. And it's, it's may not leave enough secondary work to to support anybody but Antonio Gibson in the backfield. And so it's a modest, it's a definitely like modest recommendation. It's just like, yeah, the running backs are going to be hard to come by, which you're going to hear a little bit more about in a recommendation in a second. But before I get to that player, let's circle back to Darnell Mooney. You mentioned a minute ago when we were talking about uh, Justin Fields about how he and Mooney may have a really good connection. And I want to hear more about that because in Fields' first game action here, Mooney actually led the team with eight targets. That was four more than anybody else. And while I think we definitely think Allen Robinson is going to be the primary guy going forward, Mooney's been playing a lot, played 89% of snaps last week, has a 23.1% target share the first two weeks, is 28th highest among wide receivers. You could definitely see a path to him becoming a relevant fantasy receiver. Is Fields going to make that happen? Like, are you excited enough about Mooney to, to spend even a 2% fat bid like I'm suggesting?
1: I am. And I might even be willing to go a little bit higher than that, just because, you know, I think the short answer is um, Darnell Mooney is probably that team's best field stretcher. And Justin Fields is somebody who's willing to throw the ball down the field. And I think we even saw it when he had to step in um, against Cincinnati. You know, like I mentioned earlier, there was the one deep over route that he um, hit to Mooney, barely went off his hands, you know, just kind of one of those bang, bang plays that maybe Mm. they can get cleaned up. But then not very long after that, he went back to him on the same exact route and hit it again for like 20 yards or so. Like, yeah, I think that particular, you know, route concept even is going to be something that we're going to see a lot um, with these guys. And I think as fields maybe gets a little bit more comfortable in the offense and they start doing a lip, um, you know, some of these more like, you know, hard play action stuff where they're max protecting and, and getting a guy running down the field, that's probably going to be Mooney. And so yeah. I think fields is a guy who is going to be able to deliver on a lot of that stuff. So I really like his explosive potential Um, because you have a rookie quarterback and one who runs, you might have some weeks where, again, he's only giving you a couple of receptions, but I think the explosive potential is absolutely there. And if you need a guy to fill into the back end of your flex or whatever, I think this is a really good pick for that.
0: Yeah. I think if I were just ordering these players in order of like, how much do I want him on my team? I think Mooney would be a few notches higher than I'm saying the 2% fad bid. But part of that is a little bit of game theory that I think gets involved because again, He just had six catches and 66 yards on Sunday, no touchdowns. He hasn't scored yet this season. So this may be a real opportunity to get him at a steal while all the attention is on Justin Fields and people aren't connecting the dots of what that might mean for his skill talent. But it's it's not just that Fields can complete those deep passes and is probably willing to push the ball down the field. It's that before him, you had Andy Dalton who was not, and that just wasn't his game at all. So it's like, you're kind of going from a worst case quarterback scenario for Mooney set to maybe one of the better case scenarios. And even with Dalton, he was a top 30% uh, top 30 target share. So, I mean, I feel like the sky is absolutely the limit here, right? Like if you're combining a guy getting that type of target share with a guy that may also stretch the field and get your occasional big play touchdown. I mean, that's, that's really exciting. That's like, that's better than like Christian Kirk, right? That's, that's, that's somebody that can really be a fantasy asset for you with consistency and upside.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the consistency, like like I said, I think the only reason the consistency might not be there is more just because they're going to want to run the ball a lot. Um, but I think in terms of like when they are passing the ball, he's still going to get a, a pretty high target share, like you're mentioning. And that was already true with Dalton. And I think, you know, like all the other stuff I was saying, that's probably going to continue with Fields just because Fields is a dude who wants to push the ball down the field. He doesn't really want to rush to his checkdowns. He's going to read out a concept as, as long as he can take it, even if that means getting sacked. Um, and like I said, I I think Mooney is just going to be a guy who's going to really, really benefit from that. And he's just, you know, he's a really good player in his own right. He's a guy who gets open consistently, especially on a lot of those, you know, horizontal stretches across the field and stuff. So I just think, like you said, this is a perfect marriage of, of quarterback and receiver. I think
0: I'll also point out. So I mentioned that that Mooney hasn't scored yet this season, but he does have 1.0 expected touchdowns. Based on Mike Clay's opportunity adjusted touchdown research, basically looking at where you're getting your targets, how many air yards, how close to the end zone, uh, that actually ends up being a better predictor of future touchdowns than actual touchdown scoring is. And by expected rate, he's got the 15th highest expected touchdowns among wide receivers this year. He's got the third biggest shortfall of obviously 1.0 shortfall there in touchdowns. So I think that's the type of thing that in general you would use to identify good good sleepers, good early season waiver wire pickups, but then the context may be improving too. Like there's a lot of things pointing in his favor. This is a great time to pick him up when he probably won't be expensive. I think he can make a real difference for you going forward. Okay, uh, I mentioned circling back to some some other running back names. I don't actually know whether I would call him a running back or not, but Corderell Patterson of the Falcons, somebody I'm recommending as a 2% fab bid. I mean, at this point in his career, I think of him as a kick returner. He's like, obviously a a hall of fame player just because of that. But uh, all of a sudden, isn't he the number two running back for the Falcons? I mean, we were expecting that to be Wayne Gallman after the team signed him after the 49ers cut him, but Gallman has been inactive both weeks. Patterson has been getting that work behind Mike Davis had seven carries last week. Didn't get a lot of yards, but scored a touchdown, but has also been getting some work as a receiver, six targets, five catches, 58 yards and a touchdown last week. Uh, So I don't know. I mean, you're looking for running backs here. Can Patterson be a player to fill that may not be a running back in true sense, but is running back eligible in both ESPN and Yahoo formats now?
1: You know, honestly, 2% is so low that I'm kind of like the gamble on it just because, um, you know, I think the versatility of him being a guy who is kind of a running back kind of a receiver is really nice. I think also he is, oddly benefiting from the offense not knowing what it wants to do yet like they haven't really figured out how they want to force um targets to Kyle Pitts um it seems like the offense hasn't really unlocked itself in terms of explosive potential yet and I think when all of that's the case I think a lot of that ends up just meaning well I'm Matt Ryan I'm gonna try to get the most out of this play I'm just gonna check it to my shortest guy and that's gonna be Patterson if he's on the field so I think you know, this isn't like a league winner or anything, but I think it's entirely possible that Patterson could be like a low end, you know, guy that maybe you end up flexing. So at 2%, it's obviously you're not hoping for a lot, but I really don't hate it. And I think the the potential is kind of there.
0: It's, I mean, honestly, it reminds me of JD McKissick from last year specifically, because on Washington's team, they just didn't really have the bodies at wide receiver uh, to, to like feature those guys. And they had to rely a little bit more on the running backs in the passing game. And I know that we think Kyle Pitts is incredibly talented, but he's a rookie asked to be the number two receiver on a team that really doesn't have a lot of other good options. Russell Gage has been in and out of the lineup, hurt. He got hurt again last week. Uh, He's probably a stretch to be the number two receiver. Behind him, you have Aaron Schott's favorite player, Olamide Zaccheaus. You got Christian Blake. These guys that no one's ever heard of, I think probably for a reason. So, like, behind Calvin Ridley, there's just not a lot for Matt Ryan to do with the ball. And so that's why I'm wondering with – like Patterson's had a 9.9% target rate the first two weeks is 32nd highest among running back eligible players, whether you call him a running back or not. It's just like, that could maybe increase from there, right? Like they just don't have a lot of guys to throw the ball to. And maybe that could make Patterson your JD McKissick style of PPR back. That's valuable in your deeper formats. Like, am I off base there at all?
1: No, I think that's perfect. And like, also one, the Falcons are probably going to be in a lot of, Attempted shootouts this year because their defense is still not very good, and also the Falcons' offensive line is not very good, which means trying to do a lot of the stuff that is going to target down the field and and you know really hold out for a lot of these you know deep dropbacks and stuff. It's just not there. Matt Ryan's going to have to get the ball out quickly, or he's going to get hit thirty times a game. And so I think obviously you know kind of like with McKissick last year, the benefit of that is a guy like Patterson who's who's going to be you know your quick option out of the out of the backfield. So and also with offensive line they can't they can't really run the ball very well and so I think they're going to want to start delineating a lot of these touches onto like shorter passes you know replacing the run game for you know is another way to put it so I think Patterson is just kind of the beneficiary of a lot of really weird circumstances (laughs) um, which is maybe not something I would um, you know think is going to matter for him maybe next year when they change the roster but for now I mean if 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 is
0: what you need I think it's not a bad pickup We got to get my guy, Mike Davis, away from some of these really tough front sevens, like, you know, Bucks and Eagles. We don't really need any of that (laughs) for my guy. But I will say it's it's been interesting that Patterson has more expected touchdowns, 1.7, than Davis does, 1.1 so far this season. I don't think that's going to continue necessarily because Davis is going to be the guy they ram into the line near the goal line. But uh, Patterson is getting kind of like a full field type of workload. Um, How would you compare him to McKissick this season? Like which one of them would you rather target in a typical fantasy league?
1: Um, I mean, truthfully, Patterson, just because, you know, I I think it's really pretty much down to context. I don't think either player at this point in their career is like that great, but it's just like I was saying, I think all of the context stuff really just adds up for Patterson Patterson to like get a lot of these dirty, stupid touches, like for for (laughs) almost really no reason. Yeah. Um, Whereas McKissick, you know, just with the style of quarterbacks that Washington has now with, I think Gibson just being better, um, you know, I think it's just not a great situation for McKissick.
0: I'll pretend you didn't just say that the Gibson is better than Mike Davis because that—that's absolutely. <laughs> <why> I'm <laughs> but, um, I, I meant better than McKissick. I'm I okay, better okay. than McKissick. I, I'm not going to okay. trash okay. our guy. F- My F- friendship still intact. Then thank goodness. <laughs> exactly. Um, useful title on Twitch mentions that he put in a claim for Patterson because of that running back eligibility. Like those type of little nuances matter a lot. I think they matter mm-hmm. a lot with Juwan Johnson as well. Um, but so I think that Derek and I both endorse that move useful title. Um, and, and while we have that mentioned, again, Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time, we're on twitch.tv fboutsiders FB Outsiders streaming live, me doing fantasy shows on Tuesday and Friday, Tuesday every week with Derek. Um, and then Monday, Wednesday and Thursday, Aaron Schatz and Mike Tanier and some other guys will be doing other great shows. So check all of that out. It's really fun stuff. Um, but next up from the waiver wire perspective, uh, speaking of guys that are my guys, I'm actually not sure that he's fully my guy yet. I'm I'm still trying to get warmed up here, but Sam Darnold of the Panthers, I'm recommending as a two percent fab bid. Like, I don't think this is a Justin Fields potential league winner type of player. Like, obviously, Darnold's not going to run the ball at all, but Darnold's been really good so far this season, at least statistically. He was 26 of 38 for 305 from two touchdowns and a pick um on Sunday. Uh, his current 68.5% completion percentage would be a career high by more than 6%. His eight yards per attempt would be a career high by more than a yard. Uh, so there's a lot of the basic statistics that make it look like this is working here and in, in maybe a Ryan Tannehill type of way. Like, do we think that this could be the next Ryan Tannehill or do we think the Panther schedule has just been so soft that, that really anybody would have had this success so far?
1: You know, I think In some sense, this is working for the Panthers in that like Darnold clearly looks better than he was with the Jets. I think he looks a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, he looks more comfortable just playing out how the offense is supposed to operate um, than he had previously. And obviously, I think this Panthers team is more talented in terms of skill positions than his past Jets teams were. Um, The problem is, just like you mentioned. This schedule, man, like you're not an NFL quarterback if you can't produce <laughs> against what they've had. But I mean, the, the Jets defense is <laughs> the Jets defense is just not very good. They, you know, they're starting a bunch of um, younger players in the secondary that that look really up and down. Um, their front, I think, is pretty good again in run defense, but like they don't like their pass rush. I think it's just not entirely there, which against a Panthers offensive line that is probably still not very good, even though they've looked okay. Like that's a good matchup for them. Saints defense, on the other hand, like. They looked good against the Packers, but then they were out a bunch of defensive backs um, this week. And I think when you have a a good offensive mind like Joe Brady, that's just a really easy situation to take advantage of. And then obviously they're about to get the Texans, who actually have looked pretty good in past defense. But I think overall that team is still a little shaky and their offense is going to be so bad that this game's not going to be close. Um, I think this is kind of just you know, Darnold does look better and there's some reason for hope long-term, but like his production right now feels very much like a bait to me. And I I don't really trust it yet.
0: Yeah. I don't trust it either, but I think I would confidently trust him on Thursday. It's like not as much about the Texans defense specifically, although we, we did at football outsiders project them to be near the bottom of the league there, like they were last year, but having to start Davis mills, the rookie at quarterback, you just expect that to lead to some turnovers, maybe give Darnold some short fields, get those scores from a fantasy perspective that, that are a little bit more valuable in fantasy than maybe his production would be from a real perspective. Um, But, you know, I mean, there are also signs of of encouragement here, 3.6 expected passing touchdowns for Darnold so far this season. That's the sixth highest behind Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, and Dak Prescott. So, I mean, it's kind of the, the main guys there and it's two games and it's two easy games. But if you're looking for quarterbacks to take the leap, it's hard to come up with other guys that really stand out from that perspective from the first two weeks. Fields is the guy that you should pick first. He seems like he's going to be the better fantasy player, but I think Darnold, I think it's a possibility. Like, you know, I've liked what I've seen. And the fact that the the pass protection may be bad, it it may not be that big of a deal. If he can check down the Christian McCaffrey, the way that he's been doing a ton so far this season.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think as a fantasy option, what is it? 2% is probably, I don't actually hate it. And I think if you took it, you know, took the gamble on, on Darnold continuing to be okay. That's probably fine um i think just in terms of like the panthers being you know this being meaningful for the panthers this year mm-hmm. i think i'm
0: just not entirely sold on it absolutely fair i'm a big fan of streaming quarterbacks and fantasy so i'll say mm-hmm. everybody check out my start and sit articles every thursday where i'll tell you when you want to start sam Darnold and when you don't but i think this week week three i think that's a possibility mm-hmm. all right speaking of the jets another fun jets recommendation here elijah moore the rookie wide receiver uh, giving a 2% fad bid here. So this is not a Rondell Moore situation in my mind, but Moore did have it like an interesting from a fantasy perspective week two with eight targets. He played 78% of snaps, which actually led the team. Corey Davis was at 73%. in the has a 17.4% target share so far this season. Uh, modest at 55th among wide receivers. But again, we're talking about a rookie with room to potentially develop from there. Do you like what you've seen from Moore so far? Do you think that he has a chance to to kind of make it on the fantasy radars over the next few weeks?
1: I think so in large part because it just, you know, there there are some growing pains that I think that he's having, you know, on, on the interception that um, Zach Wilson threw, the one where he threw it to like the right sideline. Where I was going say,
0: which one? He threw <laughs> <laughs> I should have started with that. I should have said the third interception instead okay, of go. an yep. interception.
1: Yep. Um, But it was like the floater he threw to the right sideline. And I, I want to be clear, this was more on Zach Wilson throwing a really bad ball that had hmm. way too much air under it. But like more ran kind of like a sail corner route that you can flatten out a little bit, just depending on how the you know coverages and how the ball is coming at you and it seemed like more floated a little bit away from where Wilson was trying to put the ball and again it was a really bad ball anyway, and it was probably a contested catch at best um but just that type of stuff is maybe something that I think they're going to iron out a little bit as, as the next few weeks come on come along I mean they're both rookies but I think they're both talented and I think that's something they can kind of figure out but I think the snap share here is what's what's really important because yeah they're really looking at more as like a true outside receiver, not like the X that Davis is, but he's like the, Mm -hmm. you know, the Z outside guy, the flanker that they feel very comfortable. can win on the outside. And I think he can do that. Um, And he's also a guy that like, he's not the biggest or toughest blocker, but he's extremely willing to go and do it. And I think that matters when you have this, um, you know, Shanahan-esque offense that they're trying to run um, with LaFleur. So I think, just a lot of the the context there is really encouraging for him to continue getting snaps, continue getting volume. The production is really just going to be a matter of like how much can these rookies iron things out. And like I said, I think when they are not facing Bill Belichick, I think yeah. that's probably gonna look a little bit smoother.
0: And honestly, the Jets have had kind of an anti-Panther start to their schedule this season whether or not you want to give full credit to the Panthers as being a really tough defense. I think they're actually pretty good, but then you get the Patriots in week two and then more draws the Broncos this week. Not a good start. Definitely don't want to start more this week, but things will take a turn for the better starting in week four when they get the Titans, Falcons, and Bengals as three of their next four matchups. So like the more pick here that the advice is, is maybe a preemptive pick where you might have a chance to start them in a few weeks, but I think it's it's worth enough. There's there's not enough guys that in your deeper leagues he may be worth the target in the short term to kind of hope for the best and hope that when the matchups turn better, you'll have a little bit more confidence in him at that point, too. Okay, kind of winding down, Derek, we got a couple more guys, I think, to discuss here. Next up is Jared Cook, tight end of the Chargers. Uh, we're down to the 1% fab recommendations here. Although I think this is really more about like the sexiness of the Jared Cook uh, so, so suggestion than it is necessarily his production. He had three catches for 28 yards on five targets last week, but had a touchdown called back on an illegal formation penalty. That's the type of thing that, that people probably looking at recent points scored won't, won't notice when they're making their waiver bids. But I feel like cook has a chance to be a tight end one in fantasy this year. Do you think that, that, that upside is there? I mean, I think so. And like you mentioned, like this
1: week, he kind of just got unlucky with the penalty. Like he he uh, was clearly a guy who they continue to want to target in this offense. And I think he still has enough in the tank that he's going to be able to produce. I mean, I swear to God, every time he runs like that sale corner route that Herbert wants to throw it and yeah. they're going to keep running that route with him. So I think he's a guy who's going to continue getting volume. And, and you know, like we both said, like this really the only reason he didn't produce this week is because of a penalty. Like that's not really his yeah. fault. Like what Like what are you going to do? Um, And that's, and like you're not going to bet every week that his touchdowns are going to get taken away by a penalty, right? Like there's just, (laughs) nobody's that unlucky. So I I think, you know, the the opportunity is going to continue being there for him for sure.
0: Even excluding that play, he's got 0.8 expected touchdowns so far this season. That's the fourth highest among tight ends. So like that type of red zone workload is there and his 14.9% target share through two weeks is 14th among tight ends. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. So like you're not going to get a Darren Waller guy off of the waiver wire, obviously, but like cook is going to be somebody that's in that next tier of options. Um, and people seem to be ignoring him. So I I would suggest you don't do that. Like I, I want every charger. There's like, I couldn't be more (laughs) impressed by everything I've seen the first two weeks. And the fact that, that like several touchdowns were called back because of penalties and other weirdness last week, I think people may be missing the fact that that Herbert's thrown for like 350 yards each of the two first two weeks. And this could be just an incredibly high-scoring team where multiple players benefit from fantasy. Okay, I think I think this is our last guy, Derek. We're down to uh, kind of the bottom of the barrel, but a guy that I wanted to talk about because I'm weirdly intrigued by him. That's Zach Pascal of the Colts. We already talked about Michael Pittman. Maybe looks a little bit more traditionally like a number one outside receiver, but Pascal actually outsnapped him marginally, ninety-one percent to ninety percent last week and scored another touchdown, five catches, 38 yards, and a touchdown on five targets. He's just had an unbelievable nose for the end zone with eight touchdowns since the start of last season, despite being really more of a fill-in for guys like T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell being out. What do you make of this? Is this just kind of been a fluky situation, or do you think that Pascal may be like a good player and with all the other uncertainty on the Colts roster where he could kind of sneak his way into fantasy relevance?
1: Man, you know – the football player, I love Zach mm-hmm. Pascal. He might be the best blocker in the league at wide receiver. I mean, he's just nasty. He's a dog. He's It's the reason why he gets snaps the way that he does. Um, yeah. And he's also like a fairly consistent, you know, short, sometimes intermediate type of guy. But it's really because of the blocking that he consistently gets on the field. And they'll put yeah. him next to the formation a lot and, and run stuff around him. So I really love him as a football player. But I think like you hinted at, these touchdowns this year are probably pretty fluky and really like you say, like you were saying more a product of other guys, just not being in the lineup. And so kind of, like I said, with Pittman, if you still want to bet on that until other guys get back in the lineup, I don't necessarily hate that because I actually do think this Colts offense looks really well run. Um, Carson Wentz, if his ankles are fine, you know, he's actually playing probably better than I thought he was going to. So the production for the overall passing offense can kind of be there. Um, but I think he's probably not a very good long-term play once they start to get guys back and just, you know, that, that touchdown regression is is probably going to happen. I don't think he's going to stay on this pace and score 12 touchdowns this year or whatever.
0: So, I mean, let me, let me make the case for it and see if I can convince you. So again, eight touchdowns since the start of last season, but 7.4 expected touchdowns per 100 targets. That's the seventh highest among wide receivers with 75 or more targets in that time. Here's that list. Evans, uh, Adam Thielen, Christian Kirk, Mike Williams, Nelson Aguilar, Devontae Adams, and Zach Pascal. Maybe there are a couple of quirky names in there. Or maybe Pascal is the least likely name in there. But it's the fact that Adam Thielen is second on this list. It's like it's got me in like a narrative tizzy because Adam Thielen was a late career breakout. Like he had his first Pro Bowl season in 2017 when he was 27 years old. He was kind of late into the league in general. And Thielen and doesn't really look like a touchdown score either. He's six foot two and 200 pounds. Well, Zach Pascal is 27 years old. It's his fourth season in the league. He's six, six foot two, he's 214 pounds. Is it possible that just he has whatever the Thielen magic is the instincts uh, to find the gaps and stuff in the red zone, or just the fact that maybe there are other bigger or more athletic players around him where people just. They that he's this good in the red zone and that can lead to those extra touchdowns. Am I talking you into it at all?
1: Uh, honestly, a little bit. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Because, you know, he does kind of have some of that Adam Thielen underneath feel. I mean, that's, that's really even, you know, between the twenties, that's what his value is as a receiver. He's good on those shallows, whip routes, whatever it is, just short stuff to get in the ball uh, really quickly. But I think part of it too is like, you know, we mentioned him as a blocker and he's really good at that, especially when he's tied to the formation. And I think because he's so good at that and because Frank Reich is such a good play designer and play caller that sometimes he can just get lost because of that. Not even necessarily because like they have these other good receivers or whatever, but like Mm -hmm. he just, you know, the play looks so convincing. Um, Maybe the formation, you know, the defense is going to think it's a run look. Maybe their run action is really convincing and Pascal just kind of slips out on a whip route or whatever, just stuff like that. So I think you actually kind of sold me that this might actually, at least at this fab price is honestly like, why not? I mean, he's, you know, he's a guy who's really good at finding zones. And I think, you know, I do trust Frank, Wright. So, I mean, I'm actually, I'm kind of in on it
0: now. <laughs> I would get a huge kick out of if he was the most valuable fantasy receiver for for the Colts. So I, this is more, maybe more of a, a wish fulfillment situation than it is like a, a true belief, but Hey, I mean, what's 1% of your fab, right? I mean, just whatever. Exactly. Make we we can will this one into reality. I, I believe in you here. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that's going to wrap up this episode, this Tuesday Waiver Wire episode of the of Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. Remember that we are Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. You can join us live. You can ask us questions. Uh, Aaron Schatz will be back on tomorrow with Mike Tanier doing an Ask Me Anything. So send him questions. I'll be back on Friday previewing the, the game's next stuff uh, for, for week three for fantasy. Uh, there's also the Waiver Wire article up on the site right now. Check that out if you want to get into more details there. Um, we've got a lot of great stuff on football outsiders, Derek, tell us what you have going on there and tell us what you have going on elsewhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously I always had the film room at football outsiders, not actually entirely sure what I'm going to write about this week. So that <laughs> should be fun. Um, the bleacher Report stuff that I'm doing for front seven, you know, NFL draft stuff. We're actually getting pretty close to start to, to, yeah. to get in some early grades and some early stuff there. And then over at odds checker, they have me doing a bunch of like prop stuff this week. I'm going to have a piece up for Thursday night. So yeah, look out for that.
0: Derek does great work, guys. Everybody check it out. Actually, his film room from week one talking about the Texans running pistol, not only was that hugely interesting and maybe a big explainer of why the Texans have been better so far this year than we expected, but I think there was a really natural fantasy connection there thinking about why Mark Andrews might have been getting the early work for the Texans given that he has that pistol experience from his Ravens days. So like, again, just like this show, I think there's a huge tie-in between the fantasy and then the scouting perspectives. So I would encourage everybody to check that out. Uh, But thanks so much for sticking with us on Twitch, on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, however it is that you're watching and listening to us. And we'll look forward to talking to you every day at 1 p.m. the rest of this week. We'll, We'll see you then.